In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we welcome you to the All Souls Sermon Podcast. In the name of the living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. I was helping at a a baptism one time that involved the ancient custom where the celebrant takes the paschal candle into his hands and plunges the bottom of it three times into the baptismal font. That great big candle back there that's right next to the baptismal font. That's a paschal candle. It's, uh, it's, it's a really uh, uh, mystical and intriguing bit of symbolism, uh, which I really like for a variety of reasons. Um, but it also uh, can be a little bit hazardous for those standing by. I myself was not the priest doing the baptism in this instant, but I was standing right next to the font. And when there's a great big pillar with fire on top uh, kind of moving around, Wax tends to go everywhere. So I found myself uh, getting uh, wax out of my hair for the next few days. Uh, I eventually just had to, you know, buzz the whole thing down. Of course, getting the wax out of my vestments was a much easier deal. It wasn't this surplus, but just like this. Wax hardens when it cools. So what do you do but you apply heat, as with an iron, to soften it, and then you can soak it up. Jesus, in our gospel reading today, is applying heat to the Pharisees in an attempt to soften their hardness, the hardness of their hearts, he says. We get a small window here into a running debate in their religious circles about a particular prescription given by Moses regarding marriage. Moses had said in Deuteronomy chapter 24 that if a man finds some uncleanness in his wife, he may write her a bill of divorce and send her away. The question the Pharisees debated was what uncleanness means here. Some said it meant nothing less than adultery. Others that it included the woman betraying her husband in some way, like defaming him in public. One rabbi even suggested that it included something as trivial as the wife burning the toast for dinner. But what framed the debate was a common assumption that marriage is a contractual relationship about which they were negotiating the terms. What are the grounds on which I can get out of this, is what they were asking. Now, the Pharisees know that Jesus tends to take the Mosaic law and stretch it to a new fullness, So, like, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Right? Jesus takes the Mosaic law, stretches it to a new fullness. And so now the Pharisees want to test Jesus. Are you going to stretch the law to its fullness here, too, and deny the permission Moses gave us to put our wives away? Jesus is not taken in. He knows the passage, and elsewhere he even offers his own interpretation. Unchastity, he says, is the one legitimate grounds for divorce. And Christians, ever since, have had our own long debate about what that means. But the way he responds here is much more characteristic of his way of teaching in general. He totally reframes the question 
in a way that should expose to the Pharisees their own callousness in even asking it. Do you understand what marriage is, Jesus says? Or have you become so hardened to women in general and to your wives in particular that the question at the forefront of your mind is, how can I weasel my way out of it? So what is the heat that Jesus applies to the hard wax of the pharisaical heart? Well, he takes us all the way back to the beginning. From the beginning of the creation, he says, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. As usual, Jesus challenges the assumption behind their question. Marriage is not a contract, he says. Marriage is a covenant. Marriage is something that God has done, not something you've agreed to on your own terms. The question should never be, how can I get out of it? The question is always, how can I better, more fully, more faithfully receive the gift that God has given me in my spouse? How can I honor and magnify the mighty work that God has done in binding me in my very flesh to this person, making of us one body? Why, after all, would God do that? That is, why would God bind a man and a woman indissolubly together? Well, St. Paul gives us a clue. When Paul comments on this verse from Genesis that Jesus here quotes about two becoming one flesh, he says to the Ephesians that this, this binding together in one flesh, this is a great mystery, or sacramentum in Latin. And I speak concerning Christ and the church. Marriage is sacramental. It's easy to think that the church exists for the sake of marriage, that it's the place where single people can meet and pair off and then go do their own thing, or that the church primarily exists to be a marriage and family counselor. Now, don't get me wrong. Those things aren't bad or wrong. Certainly, the church is and absolutely should be a strong support for marriage and family life. But what Paul suggests here is that what marriage is actually for in the first place is not the personal fulfillment of husband and wife and children. It exists, rather, to point us to the deepest reality at the heart of things, to manifest in a tangible, bodily way what Christ has accomplished for those he loves. Christ has bound us, the church, indissolubly to himself, in his death and resurrection, and in our baptism into that great mystery. Christ has said to us from the cross, like the husband in the nuptial chamber, this is my naked body, and it's for you forever. Christ gave himself, gave himself up for his church to sanctify and wash her, to present her to himself without spot or wrinkle, and to make her spiritually fruitful bringing forth new redeemed life from her watery womb. The heat that Jesus applies, therefore, to the hard hearts of the Pharisees is nothing less than the heat of the gospel. It softens the heart of one callous to his or her marriage by saying, your marriage is not about you. It's about what God is doing through and in your union with your spouse to magnify what he has done for the world. 
Now, of course, while the heat of the gospel makes our hearts soft, it doesn't make them squishy. Every married person knows that you don't always wake up in the morning and see the person next to you as the icon of Christ or his pure, sanctified church. Sometimes you wake up and wonder who on earth this stranger is that's lying next to you. Marriage is not easy, and if you're not careful, you can come to imagine that it's actually a threat to your personal space, your privacy, your ambitions, your comfort. But part of God's work in those who are married is not just to melt their hearts, but to mold them into strong and sturdy agents of virtue. You vowed when you were married to have and to hold one another in sickness and in health, in poverty and in wealth, till death do you part. To marry someone is to commit to dying with them. And I mean that in two senses. First, barring any freak accident, I mean it in the literal sense. One of you will be there when the other is dying. You will be there those long, weary hours in the hospital, praying and consoling and grieving and waiting, facing together the ultimate frailty and vulnerability of one of your bodies, both of which belong to both of you. But that moment at the end, that hospital scene at the end, can also serve as a useful image for the life you are to share all along. A few years ago, a a young guy in my doctoral program at Catholic University in Washington. He was probably only a few years older than me. Two weeks after finishing his comprehensive exams, which is like a major, major hurdle in the program, he noticed that he was having some terrible headaches, went to the doctor, was diagnosed with brain cancer, and two months later was on his deathbed. He and his young wife were both devout Catholics, and as she held his hand in the hospital bed, She said to him softly, this is what we've been preparing for all our lives. Christian life is about learning to die. Die to ourselves, our self-will, our self-indulgence, our self-absorption, so that the risen life of Christ's self-emptying love can be born inside of us. Marriage is a school for that kind of death, the death to self that enables us to love in tangible direct, concrete, eminently practical ways, day in and day out. Of course, we all probably know of marriages that have not been so much schools of dying as schools of killing, where generosity and patience and affection between the spouses has so corroded that we wonder where the divinely instituted bond of love could be beneath the wreckage of mutual hostility. Such instances are always tragic, always occasions for penitence and contrition and conversion. And it's only ever by God's grace that healing, restoration, and reconciliation can win out. Given, then, the high vocation, the glory and the challenge of marriage, I want to offer to you who are married a word of exhortation. Renew today your marriage. Renew the directedness of your heart towards your spouse, the intentionality of your love. Be tender, gentle, light-hearted, joyful, generous, patient, and understanding. Silence your egotism. 
Beat back your prideful competitiveness. Say no to your own selfishness. Rein in your unrealistic expectations. If you were married here at All Souls or at any other Episcopal church, then on that joyful day, you knelt beside one another at this altar, and the priest took his stole, this vestment that symbolizes the gentle yoke of Christ's service. And he wrapped your hands together in that stole, and he placed his hands upon your hands. And he said, what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. From that day forward, your question is not, what if something goes wrong? How can I get out of it? But rather, how can I magnify this mighty work that God has wrought, making one flesh of us two sinners, giving us to each other as our primary means of sanctification in this life? But given that marriage is a sign for the whole church and not just for people who are married, I want also to offer a word of exhortation to all of you who are not married. Whether you wanted to be and it just never worked out, or you were and it fell apart, or you hope to be and are afraid it might never happen, let this truth resound in all those wounded, aching, lonely, longing depths of your soul. God is enough for you. God is enough for you. Am I not more to you than ten sons, said Elkanah to his wife Hannah. And so God says to you, am I not more to you than a husband, than a wife, than sons and daughters, than home and hearth? These things are great goods, maybe the greatest natural goods there are in this world. But God is the one who gives them, and God may take them away. And from first to last, the only thing you can be sure of, whether you have them or not, whether you had them or not, whether you will have them or not, The only thing you're guaranteed is God. He it is who will lift the veil of your soul and look into the eyes of your heart and say to you, I have called you by name. You are mine. The Christian life, whether you're married or not, is one long engagement. We wait for our bridegroom to return and consummate his marriage. By night on my bed, I sought him whom my soul loveth says the bride in Solomon's song. And that is our longing. Our longing for Jesus as members of his body, as his bride, is what motivates us to keep going in this lonely veil of tears. So go about the city in the streets, and in the broad ways seek him whom your soul loveth. He will melt your heart when it's frozen with disappointment. Soften your heart when it's hardened with resentment. Smooth your heart when it's calloused by selfishness. The gospel of his indissoluble love will make you free to love in return. My beloved spake and said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of the singing of birds is come, and the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. The fig tree putteth forth her green figs, and the vines with the tender grape give a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of All Souls Episcopal Church. For service times and more information, go to allsoulsokc.com. God be with you.